The Beat Church in Pflugerville, Texas. Bringing you messages of inspiration, hope, and freedom. Turn up the volume and get ready for the truth that will set you free. Uh, we get to hear a testimony today. And, uh, you know, we overcome by the blood of the Lamb and by what? The word of our testimony. And so I've asked Alex to come. Come on up, brother. And he's going to share. Let's give him a hand. God's been doing an awesome work in his life. Uh, He's been working. uh, I'm not going to steal too much of a thunder, but I'm just proud of you. Uh, I know Pastor Art's proud of you. Uh, You know, a lot of people have been investing uh, just to come around and love Alec, you know, from the boxing over here to the church to all these things. And God's bringing a great restoration in his life. And so I'm going to let you share your story. But thank you for being willing to come up and and open up and be transparent and share. Thank you, Pastor. Uh, good morning, everybody. Um, yeah, wow. Uh, <clears throat> I'm just going to... Up here, right? <laughs> so real quick, just to sum up, like, my childhood. Um, from four to... Um, got moved around a lot. My uh, mother got divorced from my father. He was abusive. Um, got into drugs and kind of lost everything that he built up. And... Uh, I'm the youngest of five, too, but by the time I was four, my, my brothers and sisters were grown, and they left um, home. And, yeah, just my mother dated abusive men. Um, I grew up around a lot of mental abuse, never really physically abused. And uh, by the time I was 13, we had moved to New York to my sister's house, who was a, a Christian, saved, and, uh, man, she was a blessing in my life and my mother's life. My mom's been through a lot of trauma and stuff with all these guys, and uh, she really didn't know how to handle a 13-year-old man that was looking for a father figure. Um, And I just kind of thought I was a grown-up at that point, really undisciplined, like doing whatever I wanted. Um, By the time I was 16, I was a heroin addict, uh, in and out of shelters and jail, Um, you know, uh, hopeless. I remember being so hopeless when I was younger. and not really having like a uh, a vision for my life really other than I was just gonna be a drug addict, go to jail or die or end up in prison or whatever. Never saw myself from a higher light. Um, by the time I was 21, I had my first overdose. I died, a cop saved me in a bathroom at Dunkin' Donuts. And I just remember waking up when, after they hit me with the Narcan and the first person I thought about was my sister Tiffany. Cause she's always been praying over me and throwing holy water on me, whatever. <laughs> speaking in tongues over me. I'm like, you're crazy, lady. <laughs> She's not. She's really not. <laughs> um, so, yeah, and I always beat myself up because I, I never stopped fighting, though, right? I never, I never gave up on myself. Like, even when I was hopeless, like, I would pray or something would happen. God would have a divine intervention in my life where, like, it would just, he would make it happen, right? And then it's up to me, though, to make the right actions. And I'm learning that now at 27. Like, I still make mistakes, but... I want to say about two years ago, um, I got three kids total. Um, I just got my other two kids back in my life. My ex-wife called me, and we're working things out, which is a blessing, um, because I haven't seen them in about a year. And uh, it was like a year and a half ago, and I was with um, my daughter's mom, and something like sparked in me, like, because I started praying again, and I started wanting to go to church and like read my Bible in the morning. I feel like once you become a Christian, like, you, ha- you like, want to read the Bible. You want to read the Word of God, you know, and that's where I got to. And 
my, uh, I just had this day where, like, I had a weak moment, and I, I messed up, and I was, like, not going to let fear drive my thoughts. Like, just because I messed up, God's not forsaking me. Like, I have to do something about it, though. And, you know, like, I, I got real emotional and was, like, praying outside in my backyard. And, man, I just remember waking up the next day after that day and going to work and just crying. And I felt such a peace over my life, like, everything was going to be all right. Um, and then fast forward now, like, Man, life is good. Like, I'm, I'm rebuilding myself back up in Christ. Um, you know, there's no more. Like, anytime I get a fear thought, I try to just com combat it with not letting it make me do something like just not being fearful of doing it. God's with me. If God is with us, who can be against us, right? So, <laughs> um, and yeah, uh, boxing is something I wanted to. I started doing boxing when I was 16, um, and I kind of fell off the the path from it, but God has literally pushed me back on track all the time. So now that <clears throat> I'm putting my faith in Christ, I have good men in my life that I know I can confide in and that they're going to give me the right advice. And if not, I go to God, right? Like, and that's what it is. Um, I conformed a lot. Like, I want to just say about like AA and all that stuff. It's great, man. It's good. There's good people there. But if it's not the word of God, it's not the right doctrine. And like that stuff really messed me up. If because I would do a year, and then I would have a needle in my arm again. You know, I'd be clean off of heroin for four years, thank God. And, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, he just, I don't, you know, it just removed it from my life. God literally removed those thoughts from my life. I've had it in my face since those times. And, yeah, and he's working on other areas in my life. And I guess the biggest thing is, like, I'll never give up on God because he's never given up on me at this point in my life. And... From here, now it's just growth. I'm going to make mistakes. I'm going to grow from it, you know? That's why I love boxing. Boxing is you either winning or learning. You're never losing. And that's the same thing with life. So thank you, guys. Hey, let's uh, just stretch our hands towards Alec. Let's just pray over him, amen? This is what we're here for. Right? This is why we're here, right? And that's why we planted a church. That's why we're here. To see God touch people's lives, amen. Father, we just lift up Alec right now. Lord, we thank you for the work you've done in his life. Lord, thank you for not only saving him, Lord, but restoring, Lord, his kids to him, Lord, teaching him to be a father, Lord, and teaching him about your love, Lord, not just staying off of addiction, Lord, but having purpose and destiny in you, Lord. We thank you for it in Jesus' name, amen. All right, brother. Amen. amen. See if I can turn this off. Power is here, and the anointing is falling. Okay. All right. We're going to jump in. Uh, you guys like these ferns? I noticed something different about them today. Kind of on a distraction, but with these ferns. But did you change? Oh, yeah, I noticed that. I don't notice small things, but I was, like, worshiping, and I opened my eyes, and I was looking at a pumpkin. Is that, am I doing that, Robert? Okay. And I saw the pumpkins, and I'm like, she's even changing out the pots now. My gosh, what a, what a gift. Okay, I'm done with that distraction now. All right, I'm going to ask you guys a quiz, okay? So I'm going to have you guys think, your, put your brains on right now, put your thinking caps on. I'm going to have you help me with interpretation and language. How many different things can these two words mean? Nice outfit. Just count, you go through your mind for a minute. I'm going to give you a minute. Go through them. How many different and count them on your fingers. How many different meanings can you think of for that phrase? 
Okay, if you can think of at least two different meanings, stand up. Well, let's do it this way. Everybody stand up. Let's start out there. Everybody stand up. If you can think of at least two meanings, stay standing. If you can think of at least three, stay standing. Nice outfit. Trying to keep it simple. Nice outfit. If you can think of at least four meanings, stay standing. If you can think of, well, Carlo is a very snazzy dresser. So if you can think of at least five, stay standing. Okay, I have in my mind six, and I know there's probably even more, so it's more a thinker than me, but I came up with six pretty fast. And so here's the different meanings that I came up with pretty fast, and I'll just tell you where they come from, and then you can imagine how they could actually be different, okay? First one, a friend tells you, nice outfit. Okay, that has a meaning usually, right? See a friend, nice outfit. Right? Anybody knows what that that means, right? I know what that means. Your boyfriend or girlfriend tells you, nice outfit. Right? Could mean something a little bit different, right? If I go up telling everybody I see at at Target, nice outfit, in the boyfriend-girlfriend kind of way, they'll probably have security take me out, right? Nice outfit. You can't do that to strangers. You're walking up to some lady at Target, and nice outfit. It can, mean t- it can mean that, right? So now we're already, we're at two. What about a parent? <laughs> or you should have kept your sweater on longer, right? You should have kept your sweater on or zipped your coat up so they didn't see everything you were wearing before you left. Like, shoot, they saw my outfit. They said nice outfit, right? I'm in trouble. Any parents ever say nice outfit to your kid and you didn't really mean nice outfit, right? It's kind of code, like, um, nice outfit, nice outfit, something wrong with it? Maybe you should go back upstairs and think about if it's really a nice outfit, right? I'm a dad. I've said that a few times, right? Okay, so now we're at three. What about a bully? You ever had a bully say, nice outfit? Somebody, you know, adults have bullies too, right? Adults have bullies, not just kids. You know, sometimes you walk into work or you walk in somewhere and somebody says, nice outfit, and the second they say it, you just want to punch them right in their face. It's boom. <laughs> The laying on of hands to be spiritual. I know what you mean by that. Okay, so now we're at four. What about a salesman? We just did four. Four was the bully. Five is the salesman. Right? Salesman says nice outfit, and what does that mean? It means whatever you want it to mean. It means whatever you want it to mean, because they're just trying to make a buck. Right? Anybody been in sales? Anybody been in retail sales, right? Say, well, that looks good on you. What does it mean? It just means please check out and give us your money. It means nothing else. It means nothing else. That's all, that, that's all that it means. So what about a creeper? A creeper. I get followed by creepers all the time. It's the weirdest thing. No, I don't. But, you know, it's just kind of that creeper person that's kind of always around, kind of looking at you. And if you actually talk to them and say something to them, they're like, nice outfit. Right? And you're like, uh, this is uncomfortable. I don't want to be around it. What does this tell us about language? What does it tell us about language that something can have so many different meanings? There's another phrase that has five words, and it's, I did not say I beat my wife. So this is a good way to train yourself on how to speak and use different types of, 
uh, fluctuation in your voice. If I said to you, think this through, if I said to you, I did not say I beat my wife, what does that mean? What's that? Someone else said it. I didn't say it. Or, I did not say I beat my wife. Right? I mean, I'm, not, I'm not agreeing that that happened. I, I did not say I did that. Or, I did not say I beat my wife. I did not say that. Well, maybe I did, but I just gave him a little macaroni. But I didn't say it. But I didn't say I beat my wife. I didn't say I beat her. That's totally different. Although I know some of you ladies, and we could reverse this. I didn't say I beat my husband. There's some tough, there's some tough ladies in here. Some tough ladies in here. Right? Or I didn't say I beat my husband. What does that mean? <laughs> if my wife said that to me, I'd be going to make sure that Ray was okay. You all right, Ray? She didn't say she beat her husband, but she sounded like she beat somebody's husband. Or I didn't say I beat my husband. Right? I beat somebody and they were mine, but not my husband. Right? So words can mean a lot of different things. Right? Same word, totally different meanings. That's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about how to get the right meaning out of God's words. Because I find in pastoring, especially, the more I talk to people, the more I realize that, you know what, you know what he said, but you just have no idea what he meant. And it's ruining your life. Because you don't know. But, but it says it right here. Well, I know but that's not what it means. Well, what else could it mean? It says it right here. Yes. But in order to know what something means, you have to know the source it's coming from and what their motivation is, right? That tells you a lot about it, okay, are those two things. So let's look at it. Here's a couple of things that might need decoder rings to, to figure out what God said. Exodus 20 gives the Ten Commandments. One is thou shalt not murder Another one, you shall not commit adultery. Probably don't need some special decoder ring or understanding what he's saying in that. It's pretty clear, right? Hey, don't murder someone. Well, what's he mean by that? Well, that's probably pretty, pretty plain, right? Don't commit adultery. Well, that's probably pretty plain. But there's some things that, like, you need to understand what he's saying in order to understand what he's saying. You need to know his heart. Here's a couple of those that could possibly need a decoder ring. You shall have no other gods before me. What does he mean by that? Like, what's that supposed to mean? Like, he is my only God. Like, that's it. I only have one God. I, I serve you. Thank you, Jesus. Okay. You shall remember the Sabbath day. What's the Sabbath day? It's the day we're not supposed to work. We're not supposed to work. We're not supposed to do stuff. We're not supposed to, okay, well, I need to pay my bills. I need to make money. So I don't understand what he means by that. Like, you just don't want, if I work, I'm in trouble. Like, if I work, I'm cursed. If I work, I'm, something bad's going to happen to me. Am I going to go to hell for that? Like, what, what are we talking about here? Like, don't, just remember the Sabbath. Keep it holy. Like, I can't do anything then. What's he talking about? What does he mean? You shall not covet. What, God doesn't want me to have nice things like my neighbors? Because it goes on. It says, don't covet their house. Don't covet their their livestock, don't cover their servants, you know, or their workers in modern day time, don't covet their spouse. 
So he's saying, don't covet these things. It's like, well, what does that mean? Like, I'm not coveting, but I don't have. So can I not want? Can I not, boy, I wish I could have that. I wish I could get something like that. God doesn't care for me as much as he does for that person. So they're just going to have a better job. They're going to have more money. They're going to have better everything than me all the time, better health. And I can't even, like, I can't want that. Doesn't seem fair. Doesn't God love me the same, right? We go through these things. 1 John 4, 7 through 9 gives us a clue of how to understand what God tells us. So I'm going to read through this passage. But this gives us who our source is, we know is God, but it gives us his motivation. So we can then take and filter all of his words through that actual motivation. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God, and whoever does not love does not know God. If somebody doesn't have love in their heart, if they don't love and care, and the Bible tells us, 1 Corinthians 13, all about love. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love bears each other's burdens. Love is, it's not just this idea. Love is this actual internal motivation to care for others. And if you don't have an internal motivation to care for others and to build and to lift other people in their lives, then this is saying that you don't know God. But I prayed a prayer. Well, you may have. But to know someone, to know and to have relationship and intimacy with somebody is different than that. When you know and you walk with someone and you start to become like them, you have their heart, you have their mind, and everything starts to flow from there. It says, everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love God is literally, God is love. It doesn't say God just loves. God is literally love love. It's what he is made of. Or better said, love is made of him because the Bible says that he was before all things and he holds all things together. So literally, love exudes from God's being. A long time ago, we did a missions trip in Africa and we were way out where all the huts and everything are at and the people had their, their uh, kind of mud or thatched huts and they had these dirt floors. And do you know what they did with those floors? They swept them all the time. And I'm like, are you kidding me? I thought my wife was obsessive with cleaning. They're sweeping dirt. Like, you know that it is dirt. And they sweep it. And why do they do that? If you sweep, sweep it long enough, right, it gets hard. And the dust starts to come off, and it's just hard. And it gets harder and harder and harder. And it actually turns into almost like a tile. But it's just dirt. But no matter how much you sweep it, no matter how much they dig, no matter what they do, the only thing they're going to find is dirt. Because that's what it's made of. Well, with God, no matter what interaction you have with him, no matter what you feel like comes into like a, a friction with God, what comes into some type of interaction or, or situation that happens and it's between you and God or something's going on, no matter what it is, what comes out of God is always love. Because that's what he is made of. Doesn't mean that God doesn't, doesn't get angry with sin or God doesn't have... A, that's not what it means. Sometimes love actually has punishment or consequence because it loves. Right? It does do that. But everything is motivated through and comes out of this part of love. And that's the first thing that we need to know about God in order to understand the things that he says. Okay? Because that actually clues our brain in. So when we look at some of those commandments, say, you shall have no other gods before you. Why? Well, I go back now and say, well, God, like he doesn't want me to do anything else that's fun. God doesn't want me to... 
No, because he knows that every other thing that we could put as an idol in our life, as the main central focus of our life that we would try to put all of our energy and time into, no matter what it is, if we put something else there, it will leave us empty and let us down. And I interpret it that way because my first interpretation is God loves me, and if he's saying I shouldn't have anything else that I, I look to as my lead, as what I build my life towards and on and what I trust except for him, if he's telling me that, he's telling me for a good reason. What's a good reason? Well, the good reason would be those other things must not be suitable for that. And so I interpret it through that lens. What about you should remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy? God doesn't want me to work. God doesn't want me to make money. No, God knows, and Jesus talks about this, that the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Is that God actually gave us this day of rest because he knew if he didn't say, you know what, stop, sit down and rest, that we would do exactly what my kids do when they're two and a half, three, four years old, and they all did it, now it's Kira's turn, is that they don't want to take a nap. And they don't want to go to bed. Because there's too much to do. And it don't matter if tears are coming out, if they're crying, if they're literally walking and falling on the ground, hurting themselves because they can no longer even walk. You pick them up and go to lay down, not tired, not tired, no nap. Yes, you need to lay down, not tired. God knows we're wired the same way. You didn't outgrow it. You just outgrew your parents and moved on. Now you do the same thing to God. He's like, rest, I can't. Stop and be still. I can't. I need to work more. No, you don't. Yes, I do. I need to watch more shows. I need to do more of this. I need to exercise more. I need to, whatever the case might be, we got to be busy, 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 busy. And God's like, you don't stop and rest. Those who wait upon the Lord, he'll do what? He'll renew their strength. Why am I always tired? I'm always stressed. I'm always worn out. We well, should take a Sabbath. I don't have time to take a Sabbath. I don't have time to shut things down, not even for an hour, not even for a minute. Besides, I'm so tired. I still can't get everything done. Maybe if we interpret things through God's eyes and, and this starting with love, he's telling me to take a break because he loves me, which means that taking a break is probably good for me and benefits me. And if it's good for me and benefits me, then guess what? If I do it, maybe everything else will start to work out, including my work, including what I get done. I'll be more efficient. I'll be more refreshed. I'll be more able to do the things he's called me to do. Have more peace, less anxiety. I'll be less tired. And so I'm interpreting it through his thing. You shall not covet. Well, it's not that I can't have, but God knows that if we, if we covet, that it literally will absolutely torment our entire mind and spirit for the rest of our life. Because guess what? There's always something else to covet. It never ends. Never. I need to get fit so I can look like that person. Well, then you get fit and look like that person. Then you realize, well, they just went to the hospital and got a surgery, and now they look even better. Now I need to go back to work and save some money because I need to get the surgery too. And it just moves on and on and on and on. I need that car. I need that house. I need this. I need that. And you move on and on and on. And God's saying, no, stop. Don't covet because I'm going, remember, from love first, right? I'm already planning to bless you. I already know what you need. I ordered cinnamon rolls from Nicole. So she gave my wife a pan of cinnamon rolls, the best cinnamon rolls ever. 
and then came to my office where I was getting ready for church this morning and gave me a pan just as big, pretty close, and just as deep of frosting. Do you know why? Because Nicole knows me and loves me, and Nicole knows I'm going to bring you the amount of frosting that blesses you. Here it comes. That's a little thing. Do you think God doesn't know me better or know you better than Nicole knows the people that she bakes for? That he doesn't love them better? Do you think that there's some things in your life where God's not automatically going to bring what you needed or requested and then on top of that, because he is good, we sing about it, good, good father, all these things, because he actually is, it's not just a song, but because he actually is good, and he actually does love us, and he actually does want to bring abundance. Well, you don't know, bring abundance. God wants us to get by. I know that. God wants us to be taken care of, but abundance, I mean, this guy's getting. Jesus, John 10, 10, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that you may have life and what? Have it more abundantly. Do you think that God might have some things in your life where he wants to come and he wants to bring that to you and he already has planned, I'm going to bring him some extra frosting? I'm about to bless them. So we don't need to strive to have all the things to make us happy because God is already working to do it. Has anybody ever bought something for somebody at Christmas time only to realize they already went out and bought it for themselves? Have you ever done that? It's like, man, I put all my thought and time into buying this cool gift and I show up to give it to them and I look over on their counter and they already have it. So we have a rule in our house, you don't buy anything for yourself in November or December. Why? Because maybe somebody wants to give you something. And then you're thinking the whole time, like, but what if they don't give me what I wanted? Now I have to wait two months to go buy it for myself. If we slow down, sometimes God will bless us. We don't have to strive so hard to get there or to try to obtain it because God already plans to bless us. But that's interpreting through his heart of love. What happens when you detach these truths? I'm going to give you a list of a few truths here from their source and their motivation. If you take away God's love and God's heart for us and you just try to focus on these truths, faith, forgiveness, obedience, sexuality, which can mean a lot of things, but our internal, our, our person, money, all this stuff. What if we detach these things? Like, I'm going to work on this, but we detach it from this root, this base, this this beginning point of God's love, what happens? I'll tell you what happens. I had somebody that wanted me to pray for them. They wanted me to pray because they had a diagnosis of something, and they came to pray, and I already knew what the diagnosis was. Um, and so I said, well, how can we pray for you? And they said, well, I want you to pray for me, but I don't want you to pray for, I, I'm not sure what I can say, because if I say what it is, like I'm believing for something good to happen, but if I say what it actually is, is diagnosed, I don't want to get stuck with it. Like, I don't want to bring a curse on myself. Because I'm in faith, so I'm saying the faith thing, and if I acknowledge the, the issue, right, now I'm stepping out of faith, and I don't want to get locked into that. Because the Bible does say things like, we'll eat by the fruit of our lips, right? So it's like, well, that's what it says, so if I say I have this issue, then guess what? Now I'm going to have to have it. Kind of makes sense right? But like nice outfit, different things mean 
different things depending on the source of who's saying them. And so God talks about all through his word, we see that he loves us. We see that there's blind, the blind man on the road is calling out, Jesus, help me. And what does he say? What do you need? What do you want me to do for you? He's like, give me two eyes that I can see. Heal me. Acknowledges his issue. And yet because of God's love, he's saying, do you know what? Okay, I'm going to help you. I'm going to deliver you from that. But it's seeing it from a source and from a heart of God's love first. If I only build it on faith, faith is believing for what I can't see, right? Walk by faith, not by sight. If, I own, if that's what I'm building on as my foundation, what happens when I messed up somewhere? Did I say the wrong thing? Did I think the wrong thing? Did I do the wrong thing? I didn't claim it loud enough. I didn't say it long enough. I didn't say it enough times. Which takes us into a bondage, and now we're slaves to this whole method of faith. We can never get out. We can never be real. We can never relate to somebody. Somebody comes and says, how are you doing? I'm doing good. Praise God. Really? Didn't you just lose a child? I'm doing great. Praise God. He's good. Because I'm locked into this thing. I've got to do faith. And I'm building it on that. And that is my foundation. There's nothing below it. All the other truths of God have to start out from the base, the foundation, have to be rooted in, and I'll get to a verse on this because this isn't my idea, it's God's, have to be rooted first in his love so that when I have faith and I lose a child, and I say, God, I have faith, what happened? I know you love me. I know you loved my child because that's the base. So somehow in the midst of this, there's something you're doing that expresses your love in some way. What is it? And I begin to seek God for that. Lord, what are you doing? How is it, what's happening? And God always has a reason and a purpose if something's going on. He works how many things together for our good? All. Even the bad ones. They all work. doesn't mean God causes them. We live in a fallen, broken world. But as they happen, God says, do you know what? I'm going to make this into something that becomes good. I'm going to build something out of this. I'm going to bring something out of these ashes. I'm going to make something good here. Forgiveness. Oh, so we're supposed to forgive because I'm just supposed to let that person abuse me? Just let them treat me like that? No, if I'm interpreting it through the heart of God of love first, I'm saying, why do you want me to forgive? Well, he wants me to forgive for some good reason. And what's a good reason? But we know that forgiveness really sets the forgiver free, right? That's what it really does. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. It doesn't mean that God's not going to deal with the person that's doing the wrong. It just means he's going to do it. And guess what? When he goes to do it, guess how he's going to do it? Who does he love? He does love everybody. God so loved the world. God is able to go and to bring a vengeance and a discipline into that person's life that is ultimately also meant for their good because he wants to restore them and he wants to bring them into right relationship with him. He's able to do that. Sometimes we're not. Sometimes our vengeance is just purely for vengeance. God's is to take out the wrong and to try to bring restoration, to bring life again. He's always at work doing that because that's the core of who he is. But we can go through all of these things that way. And so there's areas in our life sometimes that we get stuck and we start to feel like, well, I'm trying to live out this piece of faith, but I'm always 
frustrated with it. I'm always anxious with it. I get afraid. I get agitated. Like, what's wrong? What could possibly be wrong is that maybe that particular area of your faith walk, of your journey with Jesus, you're interpreting through and trying to live through and experience through a truth, but you haven't rooted it first in his love. And if you can back up and say, Lord, this is a truth, I know I'm supposed to forgive, but I still always feel angry and I always feel agitated and I still take advantage of and I feel vulnerable and like, I don't like doing this. Take it back and say, Lord, teach me how this comes out of your love and help me to, to internalize that and to take that and to understand it so that this grows out of your love. Faith, Lord, so you can teach me how to have faith because you love me and you care for me and you I put my hope in you because you, know what, you will never leave me or forsake me. So I can have faith. I know you're with me. And it changes how we relate, and it changes the amount of peace and the joy that we have. Adam and Eve, I'm not going to go through the whole passage, but in Genesis chapter 3 is the first example. It only took the first humans to find the first example of people misinterpreting what God was saying because they didn't have a good understanding of his heart and that he came from a place of love. He said, you can have the food and the fruit from all these different trees. You can do anything you want in the world. But he said, don't eat from that tree. And do you know what? The serpent came, tempted them, said, has God really said that? Well, do you know why he said that? What they should have said, if they came from a place where they understood everything comes from God's heart, what they, uh, this heart of love, what they should have said is, yes, he did say that because he loves us. And he knows that if we eat that, it won't be good for us. And it will hurt us and cause all kinds of problems. Like, we're not ready for that. Maybe someday he'll let us. But right now he said, no, don't do it. But they didn't understand God that way. And so the serpent says, well, the reason that he said that is because he knows if you eat that, you'll become wise, knowing between good and evil, and you'll become like him. And he doesn't want you to be like him. He doesn't want you to be great. So really God's saying that because he doesn't like you, he doesn't love you, and he wants to squish you and push you down. Well, how can that be true when God's the one that made them? Like he literally made them. You ever seen somebody do a project, maybe around the house, or make something, cook something, bake something, and they look at it, and they're just like, isn't it amazing? And you're looking at it, and you're like, what is it? They're like, it's a cake. Oh, wonderful. That's a beautiful, beautiful German chocolate cake. Um, it's not German chocolate cake. It's a raspberry. Beautiful. I love it. It's wonderful. It's like when they make it, they love it. When God made you, he loves you. When God made Adam and Eve, he loved them because he made them. Everybody has lots of patience for their own kids, but somebody else's kids. Boy, that, kid's a, that kid needs some parenting. Look at him. Well, what about your kid? I don't even know where they are. They're running around somewhere. I have no clue where my kid is, but that kid's a bad one. Why? Because we made that one. We made the crazy one running around. That's fine. I love my kid. We tend to love what we make, and God's no different. God loves what he makes. God made you. God made us. God made Adam and Eve. He loved them. 
But the serpent says, you know, he doesn't love you. He's trying to hold you down. So they didn't interpret through this heart of love that God had for them. Instead, they interpreted through this idea that something was coming against them. And when they did that, then they rejected God's plan. They ate of it. And all of a sudden, they realized, oh, my gosh, look at us. We're a mess. Because they had all the knowledge to realize now between good and evil. And in that knowledge, they realized, we've got problems, which they had never seen before. And they became naked in their own eyes. Now, they were already naked before. They had flaws, problems, issues, but they didn't see them. Now they do, fully aware. And what did they do? They ran and hid. The Bible says they became afraid. They ran and hid. When we have a wrong interpretation of God's truth, it causes us to be afraid of God. I'm afraid if I pray wrong, God won't answer because I have a wrong interpretation of faith that's not rooted in love. I'm afraid if I don't give in the offering this week that I won't be able to, I'll lose my job or I won't be able to pay my bills or something bad will happen because God will curse my money. Because why? I'm not understanding. It's rooted in love. God loves me. He wants to provide for me. He's going to take care of me. I give because he is good and he's generous to me and I'm generous back. But I'm not giving from fear. I'm living out of love. And so when we have that heart, the Bible says perfect love casts out all fear. But when we remove love and we just try to live by God's principles, it actually works the opposite. It begins to take over and become a bondage of, of religion, of always falling short, of always being judged and judging others. It comes to this whole entire horrible concept. And many people will say, well, I want nothing to do with God. I don't want to do with Christianity or Christians or God. Why? Because most people have tasted truths that weren't rooted in God's love. And they didn't know how to experience that or to walk in it. This is why Paul said, and this is the verse, Ephesians 3, 17, I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so down inside, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being, check it out, rooted and established in love may have power together with all of the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide, long, high, and deep is the love of Christ. And that to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all of the fullness of God. He's not just trying to teach principles. He's teaching principles throughout the New Testament. But he's coming back to this thing and saying, whatever principle you're learning or following that God's teaching, it has to be rooted and established in his love. Then you'll know the fullness of God. Then you'll know what it is to live and to do life in the fullness of God. The meaning of those two words, one is uh, rizzo and one is thamelio. Thamelio. Can you say that, Juliet? Rizzo is to cause to take root, to plant, to fix firmly, to establish. In other words, you're not just saying, oh yeah, no, I know God loves me. No, but you're choosing. It's to cause. It's to actually think about and say, you know, no, I'm going to drill down into this love. Pastor, we're already Christians. Shouldn't we be like talking about something more spiritual, like, like more upper, like more mature, more like meatier? This is the meat. It's the whole reason that Jesus came and died. Because God loves you. Because God loves us. And if we don't actually not just say, oh, I know, I get it, and move on. If we don't drill our life down into it and anchor deep, every other truth we build on it will fall. It has to be anchored here. It has to be locked in here. It has to be established here. 
the word establishes a lay of foundation. What's the purpose of foundations? It literally holds everything else up. Understanding, receiving, and walking in the love of God to understand it and to really, you know, I'm going to spend time, I'm going to invest time of my life and energy into just trying to read on, understand, and try to grasp and really get the depth, the width, the length, the height, the, all the things. Lord, help me to get this before I rush on to build everything else. No, I got it. I'm saved. I love God. God loves me now. Faith. I'm believing. Okay, now giving. I'm doing that. Okay, now what's all the other things I'm going to do? I'm forgiving everybody. I'm doing, I'm doing all this stuff. Okay, but bring it back, slow it down, and get to where you really root your life into understanding God's love because when everything else starts to shake, faith, hope, and love, right, are what remain, and what's the greatest of these? Love, even out of those. You've got to be rooted and locked in. Some signs that your fruit might be from the wrong root, that it's not growing right. Fear, anxiety, bondage, judgment, anger, control. If those things are, keep recurring in your life, then there's an area that needs to be re-looked at and say, no, I have to root this somewhere because this keeps growing out and it's messed up. Something's wrong with the root. I don't need to just keep trimming it like it keeps growing that way. I need to go down on the root. And we worry all the time about, well, I need to figure out what the root is in a negative way. What's the root? Was it abuse? Did this happen when I was a kid? Did that happen when I was a kid? Did this happen? That is something sometimes to deal with. But the bigger issue isn't just getting rid of an old root. What happens if you clear a garden and all the dirt, you pull out all the roots? Guess what grows back? Weeds. It's not just pulling out something. It's putting in something. and It's rooting down into God's love. I'm not just clearing up my past. I am planting for my future. I'm going to plant and root and drill this in. And that's what God wants us to do. So this is out of 1 John. These are our last two verses. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. This is a fruit check. This is how we know that the fruit's real. This is how we know it's going good. He has given us his spirit, and we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love that God has for us. He goes on, God is love. Whoever, whoever lives in love lives in God. This is talking about a rootedness, a depth, like you're actually in it. You're not just, oh, I'm noticing I'm in, and God is in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence in the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. And it says, there is no fear in love. There's an area in your life that you're having recurring fears and anxieties. The remedy is love. Getting to a place where you understand the area of your life through the lens of God's love. It says there is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears has not been made perfect in love. I can't sit still. I get anxious. I notice my faults. I notice my problems. I notice my issues. Okay, stop. Be still. Let the issues rise to the top and then take them to God and say, God, how do I deal with these? Through your love. What would you want to do with them? And allow God to work in your life. We're going to have people come up here for prayer in just a second, but I got one, this visual that I just want to show you with this tree and a little arts and crafts. I made this tree. How's it look? No, I didn't make it. But I did bring it up here because I just want to show you because this is how silly this really looks. 
when you're talking to the Lord. This is a plum. It's about to be an amazing one. Got a little dip. How's that? So this is a plum, and I want plums on my tree. Nice outfit. Thank you, Nicole. Um, I want to have this on my tree. Boom. Looks really good on the tree, doesn't it? See that? How it brings it to life? Just boom. It's like a real plum now. And see, I could use an orange. Any orange lovers in here? Orange. I'm going to do a nice little cutie orange because that's the kind I like. Maybe nice and small. Mmm. That's wonderful. See that? Isn't that amazing? And of course, who could live without a green apple, of course? I haven't even started cutting it. I'm so good. People are already guessing what it is. It's incredible. Not done. Apples have that little thing on the bottom. See that? Ta-da! I cut out 42 of each of these at home to practice. It's amazing. And an apple. That's what it is. Boom! A plum, an orange, and an apple. When I get hungry and I can't find any chips... I can't find any Lunchables or any microwave pizza pockets or anything else that's good. I go to the fruit basket. And when I get hungry and I need that good, healthy food, and I go to pull this orange, what's going to happen? Kyle, come up here. Turn around, face the lovely people. Are you hungry? Starving. Oh, too tasty. Eat it. <laughs> I made it. It's an orange. It's wonderful. It came off my tree. Are you hungry? You don't have to, but it's there. It's for you. Are you worried about it? it's been washed? How is it? How good is it? Is it citrusy? Juliet wants some. She's in love with it. <laughs> she her face. All right. You don't have to finish it, but you can. You can. Maybe make a fruit salad out of it. Here, take them all. Let's go home, do a fruit salad, take it to community group, and bless everyone. So here's, here's the problem with these. They're not real. Well, that's obvious. You just made them up there. They're not connected to a root. So they didn't grow. They didn't get filled with nutrients. They didn't get filled with the juices. They didn't become fruit because they were never from a root. This is easy for us to see. All the other things about God's truths are no different in our lives. Faith outside of God's love becomes just like this. Forgiveness outside of God's love becomes like this. 
commands, like remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. It has become like, I need rest, so I'm supposed to take a day, so I'm just going to do it. I'm going to take a day. This is horrible. But when it's rooted in God's love, all of the goodness of God is flowing into and through it, and we understand, and our spirit and our body and our person understands it from that perspective. It's like, I'm taking a day of rest, and I'm okay because I don't have to spend my whole day off worrying that I won't be able to pay my bills or get a promotion because God gave me this day. And I know if God gave me this day that he had in mind that I need to get a raise. And he said, you know what? Take a day off. I'm going to work for you and help you out. And we begin to live and understand the truths of God through the root of God's love. It it literally changes how we experience all of the other truths of God. All of them. And that is where God wants us to be living. His plan was never to just drop a bunch of guidelines down, good or bad. His entire plan from the beginning was to walk in relationship with us. And there are commands, don't do this. And there are other commands, do this, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice, there's a good command. But they are all pointing us towards a fruitful life. But it only comes as we actually walk in a relationship with them and understand from that perspective. We can close our eyes, bow our heads. I'm going to have uh, Pastor Art and Stosh come up. And um, I didn't really plan this ahead, but Courtney, would you be available to pray? If uh, We're going to exit here in a second, and we'll have some music going. If you say, man, I got a couple areas in my life, I think this can apply to all of us, but if you especially are, man, I got a couple areas in my life that just, I know they're just not rooted right. And it's just feeling like it doesn't fill my heart, doesn't fulfill me. It just feels rotted almost. To just come up and get some prayer for that. Say, I need to pray through this area of my life and let them pray with you. Amen. Father, I just thank you for everyone that's here. I pray, Lord, that we would have a heart, God, that understands your heart. And we can interpret, Lord, your word through, Lord, your motivation and your purpose for our life. Lord, through your love. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, guys, thanks for being here. We do have food and some snacks and stuff across the hallway. Go make some friends. Stick around. Get to know somebody. And if you've got an area of your life you're struggling in to find some peace and find some hope in God, just come up and get some prayer. Everybody else, thank you for being here. Have a great rest of the day. Visit www.thebeatchurch.com and get connected with a community committed to applying these truths in their everyday lives. You can also give now to support our messages by visiting www.thebeatchurch.com give.